It's time now for the Pulpit Hour, featuring some of God's choice preachers. Stay tuned at the end of today's message for information on how you can obtain a copy of today's sermon. Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter number 26. It's such a joy to be here on Resurrection Day. Good to be saved by the grace of God. And I appreciate your pastor and all of you. And I appreciate the Lord. I was thinking a moment ago, and this goes back years ago, and I'll not call any names since we're on the radio, but one non-Christian religionist of another religion said to a Baptist or to a Christian, he said, I feel sorry for you, Baptist. And uh, the Baptist said, why? And he said, well, you're not even sure where the tomb is of your Lord. You know, there's a debate over that if you know religion. And uh, he said, we know where the tomb of our founder is. And the Baptist looked at him and said, what do we need with a tomb? We don't even have a corpse. He is not here. He's risen. And all we have is come and see the place where he lay. One fellow said, are you sure he got up? Well, I'd like to say to you, if you're worried about whether he got up or not, if he didn't get up, I couldn't have stood it if he had. I'm glad he stayed down. His power, he's alive. He's alive. I love the Lord. Appreciate God's goodness. So good to be here. And I want you to pray the Lord a blessing, have his way, and God's will be done. I want you to turn in your Bible, the book of Matthew, chapter number 27, and 26 rather, and to, no, I'm in 27. Matthew 27. I, when I thought about preaching on Easter Sunday morning, to be honest with you, there's just so much preach on Easter. Be honest with me. The whole Bible, the central place in the Bible is Calvary. The central person in the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the central proclamation of the Bible is he came, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended, he's gone, but he's coming back again. That's it. There's a lot of things going through my mind as I think about today, but I want to just read the scripture and try to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Let God speak to us from his word today. The Bible said, beginning in Matthew 27, verse number 26, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he, had when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on them and on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of serene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingle with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vestures did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched 
him there. Keep your Bible open. Let's bow our heads and hearts for just a moment of prayer and then the message for this hour from God's precious word. Our precious heavenly Father, again, dear Lord, today at the throne of grace and mercy, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bow before you in prayer. Father, I do want to say thank you for the joy of salvation. Thank you, dear Lord, that you let me be born in America, that you let me hear the gospel, and that you save me by the marvelous grace of God. Thank you, our Father, you called me to preach, you put me in the ministry, and dear Lord, you've sustained me in the ministry all of these years. And I want to thank you, Father, that as we come together to celebrate this resurrection morning, that I know what we're talking about. Lord, I know he lives because he lives inside me. I spoke with him this morning and he spoke to me and I'm grateful, Father, to know you as my personal Lord and my Savior. But now, dear Lord, I pray that you'll enable me as thy servant to bring the message from the word of God in such a manner that will honor Christ and help the people. I feel so feeble, dear Lord, to approach such a tremendous task as preaching the message that's before us today. Would you hide me in the cross and help me, Father, to allow the Holy Spirit to preach through me and flow through me to the people with a message of God that you desire preached here in this place today. Again, I ask you, Father, say what you want to say. Do what you want to do. Get glory and honor to yourself out of this hour. And do bless this pastor and his precious people as they labor faithfully for you here. And bless the ministry of this church around the world. And for all that you do, Father, I will bless you and praise you for it. Because I pray it, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. For our sake I do pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Do keep your Bible open, please, this morning for the message for today from the Word of God. I want to say just a couple of things by introduction then come right to the message that I need to preach this morning. You pray God will help me to be a blessing to you from the Word of God. There are many pictures and many types of the death of Christ in the Old Testament, but there are basically five outstanding pictures in the Old Testament of the death of Christ and from each of those, we learn a separate lesson. First of all, in the book of Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham offers up his son Isaac, there is a type, of course, of a greater sacrifice that would be offered on that same mountain some 2,000 years later. But from the Genesis 22 story, we learn that there will be the sacrifice of a son. Let's on to that. The second picture in the Bible is found in Exodus chapter number 12 in the Passover lamb. From the Passover lamb we learn not only there will be a sacrifice of a son, but there will be the shedding of the blood. Number three, we see a picture in Numbers chapter 21 of the uplifted serpent of brass in the wilderness. From that we learn that there will be a symbol of a cross and uplifting in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then from Psalms 22, we learn that there will be a suffering death that the sacrifice of God will have to experience. But then from Isaiah 53, the fifth picture, we learn that there will be a substitute in that death that is going to take place 
for the sins of the world. Now, Christ Jesus at Calvary fulfilled all five of those pictures. He was a son sacrifice. There was the shedding of blood. He was lifted up. He did suffer, and he did die a substitutional death that sinners like you and I could be saved by the grace of God. Then I want to say this, and I'm moving to where I want to get to. And the gospel really concerns three different truths. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 3 and verse number 4. The Bible said that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Without the death of Christ, there would be no gospel. But the Bible said then, and was buried. Without the burial of Christ, there would be no gospel. But then the Bible said, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And without the resurrection, there is no gospel. You see, in his death, he took care of the penalty of our sins. In his burial, he took care of the putting away of our sins. But in his resurrection, he gives us power over sin so we can live the Christian life and be what God wants us to be. Now in five minutes, I've covered two hours of preaching right there. Not going to get my breath. But I want to bring your attention, please, if you will, to verse number 36 of this chapter. The Bible said, and sitting down, they watched him there. I want to preach this morning for a little while on this subject. Let's go to Calvary and watch him die. With the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, I would like to, in our minds, reenact the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord will get him out of the grave before I get through. But no resurrection if there's no crucifixion. Could I borrow your mind, please? And please pray for me. This is a difficult message to deliver. Pray for me. Would I borrow your mind? Would you come with me outside the walled cities of Jerusalem to a place that is known in the Hebrew tongue as, as Golgotha? It's also called the place of the skull. I remember, Pastor, the first time I ever saw it, literally. And I saw pictures. I recognized it immediately when I, when I arrived there. But if you would let me draw here on this wall a picture, and there is a big, what we know in the mountains, as just a big bluff, a big cliff. If you look at that for a little while, you see two holes, a little bit off balance, but they remind you of two eye sockets. You look down, running up and down, there is a structure in that rock that would remind you of the nose. And then you look underneath that, and there's a horizontal opening that looks like the opening of the mouth. They call that the place of the skull. And it's up on top of that where Jesus was crucified. And as you walk around there, it is nothing but a stony hillside. Let's on to that. So what I want you to do with me, please, is find you a stone. And I want you to sit down at the side of Calvary. And I want us to reenact in our mind and allow the Holy Spirit to do it in our hearts, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things I want to deal with basically in this part of the message this morning. Number one, we look. Number two, we listen. Number three, we learn. 
Many of you got up early this morning. You came for the breakfast and the first part of the service. You arrived in others at Sunday school hour. And you have gone many places where there are people gathering together. And one of the first things you do, you look around. As I come to Calvary, I look. You say, preacher, what are you looking at? Let me say, first of all, I look at the crowd. I want to see, first of all, who's there. And then I want to see who is not there. When I survey the crowd, I'm amazed at who the crowd really is. It's not his friends, but rather his enemies that have come to celebrate his crucifixion. There are a few friends in the background, but basically most of his friends were not there. I get to thinking, I know who will be here. Surely the twelve will be here. But I look around and I do not find any of the twelve except John the Beloved. He's the only one present there. But I remember there are, there's a multitude he fed. I do not find him. There's a ten lepers he cleansed. I do not find him. And then I think, you know, he attended a viewing, a wake, where three different deaths occurred in his lifetime on earth. And surely since he went where they were at, at their time of death, they'll come to his place of dying. But I look for Jairus, whose daughter he raised from the dead, and he's not there. I look for the widow woman from Nain, whose son he raised from the dead, and I do not see them. I look for Lazarus. I do not see him. Though I do see his sisters or there a little bit later on. So I said, well, who's here? And it's not his friends mourning his crucifixion, but it's his enemies cheering and cheering at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only I look at the Christ, uh, at the crowd, but second, I look at the crosses. There are three of them, please hear what I'm saying, three of them just alike. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I don't mean they all have the same amount of knots, the same color wood, but there were three in the same thing that they were crosses made of wood. Now you hear what I'm saying? Please hear me. There is no virtue in the cross that Christ died on. As a matter of fact, it was prepared for another criminal. The cross is not a symbol of life. It's a symbol of death. It's not what the cross is, but it's what the cross stands for that's dear to our heart. But I look at those crosses, three of them. And then I, my attention is drawn. Not only I look at the crowd, and I look at the crosses, but I look at the Christ, the man on the middle. It seems like the, the fellow on the right-hand side kind of just fades into oblivion. The one on the left-hand side fades into oblivion. And everyone's focused on that man on the middle cross. So we look, and what do we see? Number two, we listen. Let's see what we can hear. With your Bible still open, please, to Matthew chapter number 27. I, I want to do something, and I'm glad in our day I can do this in a way that a lot of the preachers of yesterday could not do. 
I have hanging on me this morning a lapel mic. I can take that lapel mic and walk around and talk, and as I talk and you talk, it's being recorded back there. Let's walk through the crowd, and let's hear what the spectators, first of all, let me deal with six voices of the spectators around the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, in verse number 39 and verse number 40, the Bible said, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. I call that the voice of the critics. And may I say to you, their descendants are still around today. But then I come to verse 41 through 43, and I see here the voice of the clergy. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him, where the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Let me say again, there are the descendants of those still around today. But I want to tell you something. They messed up and said something. They didn't know what they were saying. They said, preacher, he saved others. Himself, he cannot save. I want to say to you, he had a choice. He could have saved himself and saved no one else. Or he could have not saved himself and went ahead as he did and died and by his dying, he could save others. So there's a voice of the critic. There's a voice of the clergy. In verse number 44, there's a voice of the criminals. But thief also that were crucified with him cast the same in his mouth. In verse number 46 and 47, there's a voice of the carnal. The Bible said about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard this said, this man calleth for Elias. You say, why do you call that the voice of the carnal? They interpreted the scriptures to say what they wanted to say. He did not call for God, for Elias, he's calling for his father. But that crowd still here who still wants to interpret the Bible for what they wanted to say. In verse number 48 and 49, you have the voice of the, of the curious. The Bible said in verse number 48, And straightway one of them read and took the sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him drink. And the rest said, Let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. The voice of the curious. And they're still around today. But then in verse number 54, you have the voice of the centurion. The Bible said, I went the centurion. And they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done. They feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Now look at me just a moment. I want to tell you, it's all one of them that really makes any sense. But he missed it in one word. He said, truly, this was. And he put him in past tense. You cannot put Jesus Christ in past tense. It's not he was. It is he is. He was the son of God before he was ever born. He was the son of God when he was alive. He's still the son of God when he's dying. 
Son of God, when he rose, he's the Son of God sitting at the right hand of the Father today. And one day he'll come again. He's still the Son of God. But those are voices of the spectators around the cross. And I, you know, you could preach a long time on that. But now then, I want to listen to something else. I want to listen to seven voices of the Savior from off of the cross. Now, Brother Barton, as you study the Scriptures, these sayings are intermingled, but I've separated them for our own comprehension's sake. Please let me borrow your attention just a moment. We're sitting here. We're watching him. We've heard the jeering of the crowd. We've heard the ridicule, the scorn. And, of course, there's a lot of a party atmosphere among a lot of the people there. And for a period of time, Christ has been silent. Would you please let me do this? Please let me borrow your imagination just a moment. He hadn't had anything to eat or drink for some time. His throat is parched. You know what it is when you have a dry mouth, a dry throat, and you're about to speak? Please let me do this. <clears throat> you get it? Clearing the throat. <clears throat> Can you imagine a preacher hanging on the cross and all of a sudden there's a... <clears throat> I didn't say it happened. I'm saying imagine it did. The volume of the crowd quietens. He's fixing to speak. What will he say? What will he say? The first voice that comes from his mouth, he said, Father, hold it. Father, that's why they're crucifying him. He claimed to be the son of God. What else will he say? Father, forgive them. That's the second reason they're crucifying him. He claimed to have that power as God does to forgive sins. And then he finishes that statement by saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You're talking about adding injury to insult or insult to injury. Here Jesus is saying, he's still my father. I've still got the power to ask God to forgive them. And they do not know what they're doing. It's quiet. The volume picks up again from the crowd. Then I notice there's conversation between the three that are hanging on the crosses. Let me move closer. I hear one of them saying, If thou be the Son of God, come down on the cross and save thyself and us. He's interrupted by the men on the other side. Please let me put it in our language. He looks over at him and says, What? Know you not that we're in the same condemnation? And we're getting our just reward. But this man had done nothing amiss. And if he could turn his head and look at Jesus, he looked at him and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus says back to him, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You talk about standing a spear in the unbelieving heart of that crowd that was gathered there. Can you imagine? Here they are. Think about it just a moment. Let's look at it. Both thieves asked the Lord to save them. One of them said, come down and save me without a cross, without a death, without a bloodshed. If you be God, you got the power, do it without Calvary. His descendants are still around. 
But I want you to notice this. Oh, preacher, this thrilled my soul when I saw it. You know what Jesus did to that fellow? He ignored him. He did not even grunt at that fellow's petition. But the other fellow said, Lord, in essence, stay on that cross. Die. Shed your blood. Be married. Rise again. Come back. Start a kingdom. And when you do, remember me. In your Bible, the word truly, the word verily, and the word amen all come to the same word. It's like Jesus looked over and said, amen. That's what I'm going to do. But it will not be as long as you think it is because today you're going to be with me in paradise. Can you imagine listening to that conversation? Here are two dying men talking about starting a kingdom today. It's silent again. Look at me. And then I notice Jesus looking. He's scanning the crowd. Finally, he focuses in. You've watched people from the platform. You know what I'm talking about? He's seeing somebody. Who's he looking at? Who's he looking at? And across the crowd, the moment begins to roll. It's Mary. It's Mary. It's Mary. <clears throat> he looks at her and he said, Woman! By the way, Jesus never called Mary mother in the word of God. First time he addressed her in the scripture is John chapter number two. And he said, woman, what have I to do with thee? And the last time he addressed her in the scripture is here in this text. When he said, woman, behold thy son. And then he said to John who stood close by, behold thy mother. At first when you read that, it's like Jesus said to Mary, hey, look at me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to her, I cannot be your son anymore. I'm the elder son. That's the one that's supposed to be responsible for taking care of mom and dad. But I'm going to assign that responsibility to John. Mary, you look to John. John, you look after Mary like she's your own mother. What he said really, preacher, is John, you take care of things on earth down here with mother for me. I'm going to heaven and take care of things in heaven with a father for you. John was literally substituting for the substitute. Amen. Quiet again. All of a sudden, I hear, can I say it? Please give me, let me say it. I hear the, I hear the clock down at the courthouse tolling 12 beats. It's noonday. It's noonday. All of a sudden, the lights go out. Not an eclipse, not a solar or lunar lineup, a total brightness of the light gone completely, a total darkness covered the earth. Can you imagine standing in darkness? I know you cannot imagine standing in darkness for one minute, two minutes, five minutes, or three hours. Three solid hours. Almost pandemonium broke out. I'm almost, just almost riot. Almost, what's going on? What's going on? It might have been preaching one of those scribes said, you know, I remember there's three days and three nights of darkness down in Egypt. Another may have said, I remember him talking about outer darkness. 
He even spoke of eternal life. Is God judging us with this? What they were saying was, a, was an imitator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just at the closing of those four hours, they hear that. <clears throat> my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the fear breaks out. God's forsaken him as he forsaken us. All of a sudden, the lights come on again. When the lights came on, Jesus said, I thirst. They ran, got a sponge, filled it with vinegar, put it up to his mouth. He tasted of it, would not drink of it. And then as soon as that was done, knowing that the scriptures were fulfilled, he said, it is finished. I want to tell you this. He wasn't talking about salvation plan because he's still got to die and that blood's got to be shed before salvation's plan's finished. It's the end of his personal suffering. There's now fulfillment of a perfect sacrifice and all the prophetic scriptures have been fulfilled. It's finished. But preacher, not only what he said, he said it's finished. But I think about who he might have said it to. I think he looked up to God the Father and said, Father, it's finished. I believe he looked at those Old Testament saints still in the heart of the earth and said to them, it's finished. I believe you looked through the telescope of time and saw you and I sitting here today and said, it's finished. But I can't help believe he looked wherever the devil's at and said, oh, devil, it's finished, boy. Amen. And then he bowed his head and with a loud voice he cried out, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. And he died. We looked. We listen, we learn quickly. Number three, what do we learn? What do we learn? What do we learn? Number one, we learn this death. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ is a supernatural death. Can I say to you this morning, no one ever died like Jesus died. Preacher, in the work that you've been involved in all these years, this will be more real to you than some people, but... If he's dead, we've got to have the coroner fill the report. Got to have a death certificate. So can I just borrow the coroner from Jerusalem and we bring him up and get him to fill out a death certificate on the Lord Jesus Christ? And I say to him, what's the cause of death? You know what he's going to say? He's going to say unnatural. He was crucified. I said, but I need a second opinion. So he brings a coroner from Bethlehem up and says to him, uh, check him out, see what caused him. He examines the corpse and said, natural death. Nothing killed him. I said, nothing killed him. I said, nobody killed him. Then I call in heaven's coroner. He said, it's neither a unnatural death nor a natural death. It's a supernatural death death. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, death was on his heels before he's ever even born. Can you imagine a mother ready for delivery, riding a donkey for probably maybe five days from Nazareth to Bethlehem? I'm convinced, Brother Branton, I'm convinced that's probably when God invented shock absorbers. Put them in them donkey's knees and give them an air ride. Amen. But all of his life, you know why death could never get a hold of Christ? 
Death operates on a restricted license. It can only function where there's sin. And since he had sin, every time death reached for him, a higher power said, better keep your hands off him. You don't, you're out of your territory. And death chased him like a dog chasing a rabbit and never could catch him. So it comes time to die. Jesus just had to turn around and lay down and say, here I am. You can't kill me. I'm going to die of my own volition. It was a supernatural death. Nobody ever died like the Lord Jesus Christ died. Matter of fact, boy, here's another hour of preaching. I don't want to get detoured. But there's a lot of supernatural things. There's a supernatural darkness. There's supernatural death. There's supernatural disturbances. There's a lot of supernatural about this. Another hour of preaching. I won't go into that. But not only learn his death was supernatural, but we learn his death was sacrificial. This is not just a man dying. This is not just any man dying. But this man is introduced to us as the Lamb of God. I want you to look at me just a moment. It was not man crucifying Christ. It was God offering his Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And my friend, when that Roman soldier out of an act of spite shoves that spear up under his rib cage and out comes blood and water as the blood oozed out, God's anger oozed out. And God's holiness was satisfied. God's judgment was satisfied. God's sacrifice was satisfied. And my friend, it was God's lamb dying for the sins of the world. But let me give you a third thing we learn. Not only it's a supernatural death, not only it's a sacrificial death, but it is a substitutional death. Come with me just a moment in your mind, please. Back down to the city of Jerusalem for just a moment. And as far as I understand in the scriptures, Jesus was never put in jail. Like the Bible prophesies, he was delivered from prison. He had no opportunity to go through the normal process of law. But there were three men in jail in Jerusalem the night before the crucifixion. If we were to go into the prison and just listen, you'd hear something like this. There's a, there's a hewing of wood taking place, the sound of it outside. They say to the jailer, what's the hewing of the wood? What's the noise? And he said, I just want to tell you, they've scheduled your execution for tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. They're hewing your crosses laying outside there. They spend their last night. Early the next morning, they brought their last meal. And as a jailer comes back, he said to them, fellas, there's been a sudden change of events. What is it? You know that man Jesus of Nazareth? Yes. They arrested him last night. They're fixing to crucify him this morning. But the problem is, I don't have a cross to crucify him on. So Jesus is going to die on a cross that really belongs to one of you. They come in a little while. The soldiers came, and it's as though the fellow said, take this criminal. Go out there and pick him up a cross and take him to Golgotha. Then they said to another group of soldiers, take this criminal. Go out there and pick him up a cross and take him to Golgotha. And preacher there stands, Barabbas, looking the judge in the face and say, but what about me? The judge looks at him and says, sir, I have no cross to 
for you to die on me. Jesus is dying on your cross today. What about me? The door's open. You can go free. I don't believe he caught the first flight out of town. I believe if you were watching them, you, you probably would see him hiding behind the building or the structures. But he is watching that crowd, and he finally gets there to the place. And I'm telling you, he's hid, and he's, he's watching every move that's going on. I come up behind him, and I say, Barabbas, there have been a lot of crucifixions up on that hill. I've never saw you this interested in a crucifixion. What is there that's got your attention so fastened to this crucifixion? Barabbas would say, you, 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 you see, see, you see that man in the middle? And I said, you speak of Jesus of Nazareth as I see him. Then he said, you, you, you see that cross? He's hanging on. And I said, yes, I see that cross. It's like the others, Barabbas. He said, yes, but there's something different. I said, what is it? He said, that's my cross. That cross was intended for me. I should be on that cross. But Jesus Christ is dying in my place. I look again, preacher. I say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 Barabbas. That cross has got my name on it. That cross has got your name on it. And all of a sudden, I join in and sing, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on that cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. It was a supernatural death. It was a sacrificial death. It was a substitutional death. You know the story. They take his body down, put it in the barred tomb. And I want to give this summary, and I'll close with this. It must have been a day of great rejoicing for his enemies when Christ was crucified. I sat in the motel last night, preacher, and wrote this down, and I hope I can, the Holy Ghost will make it make sense to you. And God will use it to speak to your heart. See, I don't want to leave him on the cross. There's three men gathered together the day that Christ is crucified. One of them's name is Mr. Death. The second man's name is Mr. Grave. The third one is Mr. Corruption. Very gleefully and joyfully, they're jumping up and down. We got him, we got him. Death said, I got him, Mr. Grave. You take him, you keep him. And corruption, get on him. Grave said, I'll keep him. Corruption said, I'll devour him. 24 hours come by. Mr. Death said, Grave, you still got him? Still got him. How's corruption doing on him? He's a trying, but he's not getting very far. Two days go by. Mr. Death said, Mr. Grave, have you still got him? Still got him. How's Mr. Gratson? He's just not making much success, but he's working on it. About the middle of the third day, Death hollers at Mr. Grave and said, Have you still got him? So I still got him, but I'm beginning to feel a rumble. Well, how's Mr. Corruption doing? Mr. Corruption has just not got a good toehold. He's not doing anything to him. Tell him to hurry. A little bit later on, Mr. Death hollers back to Mr. Have you still got him? Yeah, but I don't know if I can keep him or not. 
said, we just had an unusual experience down here in the heart of the earth. What is it? I don't know what all was said, but he talked about moving. And I think I heard Abraham tell Sarah to go to packing her bags. Hurry! Tell corruption to get busy. Hang on to him, death. Hang on to him, corruption. Hang on to him, grave. Hey, Mr. Grave, Mr. Grave. This is Mr. Death died. Christ pulled the stinger out. His last words were, hang on to him, and grave, say, watch this shake him. Hey, Christ. And up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph. You say, preacher, how do you know he's alive? I give you these three thoughts and I'm through. There's an empty grave that says the Savior lives. John chapter number 20, there's empty garments that said he lives. Acts chapter number two, and I love this in preacher, there's an empty grasp Death couldn't hold him. It was not possible that he could be holding of it. And here's the joy. He was, he was, let me get my verse. He was delivered for our offenses. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And by his stripes were healed. He died for our redemption. But he rose again for our justification. The real message of Easter is he did come. He did die. But death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't hold him. Corruption could not devour him. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He tasted death's poison. He tested death's power. He tore up death's prison, and he transferred death's paradise. Before Calvary, every person that died went down. But since Calvary, when a Christian dies, we go up. The message of the Bible is he came, he died, he was buried, he arose, he ascended. He sits at the right hand of the Father and he's coming again. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. That concludes our Pulpit Hour message for today. If you would like to order a copy of today's message, you can call our studios at 828-884-9427 or write to us at WGCR 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. You can also hear today's message on our website at WGCR.net. The Pulpit Hour is brought to you by Anchor Broadcasting.